Hooah! Repentance and sin are not linked subjects explicitly in the Bible. We've made it so that whenever we talk about repentance, we're telling people to stop sinning, basically. And that is just not what repentance is. It is a, what do they call? False monochotomy. I'm not even sure that's a term. But that's basically what it is. We've linked the two when they shouldn't be linked. It's possible to not sin and yet not have repented. But it is not possible to have repented and continue to sin. Because not sinning is, you know, one thing, but repentance is very clearly defined uh, in Scripture. Actually, maybe not very clearly, but it is uh, at least strongly suggested as to what it means. And ultimately, repentance is the turning back of the mind back to what is true. It is to take false ways of thinking and replace them with correct ways of thinking. That is what repentance is. Repentance is not to just stop looking at porn and stop murdering people and stop bloody shoplifting at every store you go to. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is to come to an understanding of what is good and true in your life and in the life of Jesus Christ and adopting and fully wholeheartedly embracing the truth of the gospel in your life and in your heart. That is what repentance is, which is why it's impossible to repent and continue to sin. But it's easy for me to stop sinning, so to speak, and not repent. Because I can go not, you know, not cheat on my wife because it's easy to not do that because I love my wife and because I know that to do otherwise is destructive to my own life, to her life, to the marriage, to those around me. I, I can see the ramifications of it. It doesn't take a genius to see that. But that isn't necessarily me not sinning. That is the product of repentance because I can see the goodness of of purity and of of having eyes only for the person in whom... Uh, with whom I'm in covenant. And like a lot of things in the gospel and in the way that we preach the gospel, we have made it all about something that it's not. Repent and turn from sin is something that you can say, but repentance is not telling someone to stop sinning. Telling someone you need to repent is like this, this catchphrase that we throw at people who we think needs to stop sinning. And that is not what they need to stop doing. People don't need to stop sinning. They need to start sunning, essentially. S-O-N-N-I-N-G. They need to start understanding the truth and the correct way of thinking and the correct way of adopting their heavenly reality. Because there's far, far too many people out there who don't sin and yet haven't repented and they are the reason the world is going to hell Christians who don't sin but haven't repented are the reason that we walk past people on the street uh, unable to walk in that which is necessary to bring about uh, 
the seeds in people's lives necessary to transform them. And if you listen to my podcast on um, street evangelism not necessarily being as important as we make it seem, um, I'll talk more about that and how I do value street evangelism, but I don't necessarily think it's the be-all, end-all of, of winning souls. But, you know, going back to what I was saying, Christians who, they don't sin, so to speak. I mean, like a lot of people are bound in habitual sin, but for the most part, I think most people who are sincere towards God don't have lives characterized by it. But repentance is what we need. It says in Romans that repentance, uh, sorry, the goodness of God is what draws men to repentance. And the goodness of God is the revelation of that which is true about God. Because that which is true about God is always good. And when we realize the truth about God, we realize that he's better than we thought. And we replace our weaker lines of thought with a better one. We repent and replace and renew our minds. That is what repentance is. It's the renewing of the mind, replacing the old feeble way of thinking with the ways of thinking of righteousness and Christ-likeness and being in His image. When our minds come into His image, the image of His mind and the way He thinks, that is when we have repented. It is very, very, very little to do with action. Repentance is almost almost in entirely absent of the change of action is the change of the way of thinking because the only thing any individual can change is their mind talking to my friend Daniel Svensson back in maybe late March I think it was he was in a uh, an intense car accident in early December 2018 about um, seven months ago around about Six months ago, actually. This bloke hit him at 180 kilometers an hour while they were on the freeway, and he was in a coma for like two months. Woke up with a um, you know, reported brain injury and all that kind of stuff, and we didn't even know if he was going to be able to talk again, let alone live a normal life. And in Jesus' name, he is back to where he was. Now, which is an awesome miracle, actually. I love that man. <laughs> but I I went to visit him back in the end of March and me sitting in his hospital room just listening to him speak about the things that he learned from Jesus while he was in this coma. And he mentioned that the only thing that we as human beings can change in our own lives is our mind. There is nothing else that we can change. We can't change our actions. We can only change our mind, which leads to our actions being changed. And that is why it is the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. Because the goodness is something that we encounter. And when we encounter it, our minds are changed. And that is what repentance is. Any repentance that takes place apart from an encounter with the goodness of God is false repentance. That is not true repentance. Any action, any way of living that is changed by something that isn't a revelation or that doesn't stem from a revelation or experience with the goodness of God is false repentance and it is religion. It is not real. It is just absolutely fake. And that is the foundation of religion, actually. 
actions, being clean on the outside, but on the inside being, you know, a tomb full of bones and rotting flesh and the like. I just really wish that we had people who were repented on the inside, who had their lines and ways of thinking replaced with that which is good and pure so that their actions on the outside would be good. Godly sorrow produces repentance as well. Some people say that the godly sorrow that produces repentance is the uh, repentance for so-called Christians, you know, but the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance is the repentance for people who are encountering God for the first time. I totally disagree with that notion. I think it's for both. Because godly sorrow is produced when your mind comes to the place where it understands that the way it was thinking previously was comparatively weak. The way that we were thinking was not accomplishing that which we thought it would. Because oftentimes the repented mind is a mind that has come from a line of thinking that was self-orientated. And coming to the place of being others or God-orientated. That is what repentance, I guess, looks like manifestly. And that's why godly sorrow is produced and why it leads a person to repentance or it is in itself the path to repentance. And in all of Paul's letters, you'll see him write over and over and over again to, to pray and ask God for the revelation and, and the knowledge of his will and the spirit of wisdom and revelation and all of these things that in all you get, get understanding, right? The proverb, Paul says it over and over and over again that we would... Someone called my phone just now as I was talking. <laughs> Can't remember what I was saying. Something about godly sorrow leading a person to repentance. Godly sorrow is the path to repentance. Paul, just over and over and over again. Sorry if I'm repeating myself here, but I can't remember what I was talking about at the end just now. Paul, over and over again, we must get understanding. And what is understanding? It is the right way of thinking. Understanding is to get something that you didn't have previously. It is to upgrade your way of thinking. It is to replace ungodly thoughts with godly thoughts. It is to replace thoughts that were not like Christ with thoughts that are. That is repentance. That is getting understanding. That is getting truth. And Jesus says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And truth and freedom are inseparable. More than the truth setting you free, I think the truth is freedom. Not to try and, you know, upgrade on or uh, up, stand up the words of Jesus Christ. I just think that it might be a better way of interpreting that passage to say that the truth doesn't just bring freedom. The truth, receiving the truth is to receive freedom. You can't separate the two things. Because when you start to think like him, you start to feel like him. 
You cannot think like Christ and not be free like him. You cannot think like Christ and not be peaceful like him. The only thing we're lacking is the way that, you know, the, the means by which we think like him. It is the only thing any person in this whole world is lacking. The only difference between me and a fighter in ISIS or one of those school shooters or those serial killers, you know, just, you know the, the worst people in the world, the only difference between me and them is I have a different way of thinking to them. I have a different worldview, a God-inspired worldview. And if their worldview was God-inspired or saturated in encounter and experience with the goodness of God, they would not be the way they are. So it is only a differing and understanding that separates uh, the destinies that we walk in. Because if I was raised in, a, in an environment where I was taught to hate people or to want to kill people, that there was glory in killing people, that would be what would be occupying my line of thought. But I have trained myself in scripture and even though my mind will try and deviate from time to time, I bring it back into line in Jesus' name because I know what is true and I have a better way of thinking because my mind has been upgraded and it is constantly being upgraded line upon line. I don't live the way I do now that I did 10 years ago. Sometimes we blindside ourselves into thinking that we are living the exact same way when we get the temptation to be dismayed, but it is a lie. I don't get as discouraged as I used to get. I don't get depressed. I don't have bad days. I don't have sad days. Sometimes, man, if you, if you let your mind go down rabbit holes, you can begin to convince yourself of things. But part of upgrading your mind to the, the repented mind of Christ is to begin to implement truths and understanding that weren't there before. And as you do that, and as you experience the freedom that comes from that, it will become your inbuilt default and you won't have to go through the hard yards of getting it established again. That is the renewing of the mind. All we lack is understanding. Repentance isn't just not sinning. We need to absolutely separate that, those two uh, subjects just totally. We need to stop, stop preaching that. Why the heck are we putting people in bondage by preaching that? It just makes people sin-oriented instead of freedom-oriented, truth-oriented. It's for the sake of freedom that Christ set us free. That verse used to just baffle me. I don't understand why it was worded like that, you know? Like, obviously, he set us free for the sake of freedom, right? But I guess it's not as obvious as that because people think that he set us free for a particular reason, but it is freedom in and of itself that is why he set us free. He didn't set us free for his own, you know, selfish gain. And man, there's people who just say that God did everything for his glory. That is uh, something that people love to preach. And it sounds noble to say something like that, to say that God did everything for his own glory. It sounds like the most noble thing in the world to, to preach. Hallelujah, let's bring glory to God. That's why he died. Let's not touch on his glory. The glory is his because he did everything for himself, everything for his own name. 
And that's just garbage. God did everything for us. And in turn, we lay down our lives and do everything for Him. There was no selfish motive in God at the cross. It was not about Him. And it cannot be about Him. 1 John 4 says that God is law. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is never self-seeking. Therefore, God is never self-seeking. He did nothing for His own sake. And if love is never self-seeking, then why did He die on the cross if not for His own glory? It was to reunite us to Him. Those who were lost are now found. Through Him, they are saved. We are saved. We are free. That right there is a line of truth that will upgrade the way you think and see God. If we come to God thinking that He did everything for His own sake, we're not going to be people who can approach Him confidently because we will feel like we are constantly the, the issue that God had to deal with by sending His Son to die for us when in fact he willingly did so. He willingly laid down his son for us because it was never for his sake, it was for ours. And if you don't agree with that, that's because you don't know what you are worth. You think that we are worth something because he died instead of him dying because we are worth something. And the two, those two differences of opinion there mean everything. If you can't understand that, you will go the rest of your life thinking you're a, a worthless worm that that's existence killed the Son of God. And that is a miserable existence. I won't have that. I will come to know the goodness of God and be brought to repentance. In the name of Jesus. Ah. <laughs>